Well, I, uh, I am here alone. My uh, the last two years have been kind of crazy for, uh, for just about everybody, and Uruguay was no exception. When, uh, when the mandates came down here, something similar happened there. They had the military in the streets, the police in the streets, so public meetings of all types were, were shut down. So um, we, took it, we took that seriously in the beginning and thought, uh, you know, this is a big deal. One thing that was allowed is, is actually going out. They, there wasn't even public meetings allowed in, outside, uh, but we could still go out. The Jehovah's Witnesses stopped going out. The Mormons actually left the country, but we were the only ones, as far as I know, uh, getting, getting John and Romans out there. We were sensible with people. I mean, people, a lot of them were fearful. As time went on, more and more were getting less fearful and a little more suspicious. But people, Uruguayans in, generally, in general, were a bit more compliant because some of the rules that they had were not really that different from some of the ones they had. So the reason I came is because my dad is 83, my mom is 88, uh, and my wife was saying, you know, uh, we're living in Uruguay. We don't know how long they have left. Uh, how they're, they're, they're healthy now. They're taking care of themselves. They live in Creston, B.C. They go to a good church and have a good pastor. But I don't know how long they'll be that way. And so my wife encouraged me to go. My daughter uh, works for herself. She teaches music. My son uh, and wife teach English. My son also teaches Taekwondo. And it was a little more complicated for them to leave. Uh, so she, she and I talked about it. And so my daughter and I went to... Uh, go visit my parents. We, we had to be careful how we flew in, and we got, I got to quarantine with them and spend some time with them and see them for a while. And so that's the reason I, uh, I came alone. My daughter uh, left just a couple of weeks ago, so she's back down there, and, and I praise the Lord she is down there because it sure would be hard for Joshua to take care of uh, uh, my wife on his own. There, if you're checked into the hospital, somebody always has to be with you from the family or a friend or you hire somebody. Uh, because somebody's got to be there to get the essentials that the, the nurse isn't going to get for you. And so I, I praise the Lord. I have, I have good kids and a good wife. Um, I was up late into the light night last night looking at getting tickets for flying back uh, because my wife was in the hospital. And I didn't know what was happening. And she's a good lady. She texted me back and said, what I'm doing here is important and I should do it. So I appreciate your prayers. I appreciate if you pray for our family. And I'd appreciate if you did that for your pastor and their family. Because I think, I don't know, I think your pastor would agree with me. I think in some ways the preacher has it, has it easier than his family. So uh, you lift them up in prayer. And I really mean that. I wish you could miss me and my family. They're good people. So tonight uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about Uruguay. You saw some of my best friends in the world on that video. There was one man who uh, you saw in there, his name's Felipe. He, uh, he used to be a drunk. He was known as the drunk in his neighborhood. And he got saved. And he's not a drunk anymore. He's a faithful man. And you saw some people who I really love there. Um, as I said, my name's Marco Paulician. Uh, my son is 22. Uh, he usually does a lot of the work. We, we're blessed to have a ch like a church building that we rent, and he does a lot of the sound. And since I've been gone, he's been doing more. Uh, he's been leading singing, and because somebody has to do it. And he's been uh, teaching some, some of the Sunday schools, and the, the boys, the young boys just love that. My wife teaches Sunday school and does a lot of what 
most pastors' wives do and missionary wives do. She, she takes care of a lot of things in her church and just loves the folks. Um, and my daughter plays music. If you could pray especially for my daughter's wrist. She's had some wrist pain that's made her unable to play as like she used to. So you pray for her. Uh, I'm a Uruguayan citizen as well. I, I got my citizenship, as did my kids. After we arrived there, we did a whole bunch of paperwork. And praise the Lord, we did, because during COVID, they couldn't get rid of us. So I uh, praise the Lord for that. My wife is still not a citizen. She's a permanent resident. And so... Uh, Lord willing, that'll, that'll happen in, in the coming year. If you look at Uruguay, it's between Brazil and Argentina. It's got two giants on either side, or a giant on either side of it. I can see Argentina from where I live. It's just on the other side of the river. Brazil is about two hours away from us. And I've had the privilege to preach at uh, at least one of their border cities. They preach, they speak Portuguese there. They speak Spanish in, uh, in Uruguay. Uruguay is very European for a Latin American country, so it's, uh, it's not like Mexico. Uh, there's no real indigenous population to, to speak of there, um, and so the attitude is very European. Unfortunately, that means they're very progressive. Uruguay was the first country in Latin America to legalize abortion. It was the first country in Latin America to legalize same-sex marriage. It was the first country in the world to fully legalize marijuana. And what are the results of that? We have the highest suicide rates on the continent. And I believe it's either us or Japan have the highest suicide rates for seniors in the world. I believe it's Uruguay. And so there, uh, the first independent Baptist preacher, pastor I had, had a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is the answer. I don't see that as much as I used to. But, you know, I believe that. I believe that my problems and the problems of every individual we meet and the problems of our society and our country are solved with Jesus. I really believe that. I don't think that's oversimplifying things. And I think the Apostle Paul thought the same thing. We're going to read from Acts chapter 20 today. Paul's going to preach to you, and then I'm going to preach to you. And the Apostle Paul always, we only have transcriptions of his sermons in Acts. It's the only place. We know he preached a bunch, probably thousands of times. But the only times we have a record of his sermon or his speech is in the book of Acts. And we have 10 of those. We have four sermons, four speeches, and two really short speeches. But in every single one is the gospel. And I find that incredible. If he was rebuking Jews for not trusting Christ, it had to do with the gospel. If he was talking to an idolatrous city, he referred back to the gospel. If he was trying to encourage a, a synagogue to trust in that Messiah that they've been waiting, waiting for, he referred to the gospel. If he was talking to philosophers and academics, it had to do with Jesus and the resurrection. Everything is fixed with the gospel. I believe that. And Paul believed that. And I don't think that's oversimplifying things. Sin makes things complicated. I, uh, I scratch my head sometimes with some of the people I have to deal with in Uruguay. But I know Jesus is the answer. And I've seen it. And I know that over the last two years, you guys have gone through hard times, as many churches. God, what are we supposed to do here? God, God wasn't worried about what's happened in the last couple of years. God knows. And I, and I firmly believe the gospel fixes everything. I believe that. I also know a lot of the times I don't know how, but I know God does. Excuse me if I'm uh, tearing up. I took my blood pressure a little while before here, and I usually have it low, and Pastor, Pastor Rice said, don't worry, it's probably just stress for what's happened in your family, so I'm going to try not to keel over here tonight, and you just, you just pray for me. 
And uh, so I firmly believe that the gospel fixes everything. And I think Paul believed that too. And so there was confusing things. What do we do as a church? Because you don't want, I mean, you do have to consider, we don't have to be people who are scared of man and fearful of man, but we do have to be mindful of our, our, our neighbors. When we went out handing out John and Romans, I'd have a, either a mask in my pocket or hanging off my ear. I, I didn't do the holding the, uh, the mask on your chin thing. Some people do that. But uh, anyway, because if I want to talk to someone, I don't want them, if I see someone I can talk to, I don't want them thinking, well, I don't want to talk to this person, they don't have a mask on. I, I don't really think it, uh, my personal thing, I didn't think it would help me much, but if it makes somebody else feel better, I have no problem doing that. They gave us pages of protocols to follow once we had church. I'll say this about Uruguay. The, the, the minister of health sat down with the head of all the churches a couple months into this thing and said, how are we going to give you guys protocols so you can have church again? I don't know of another country in the world that cared like that. And so, you know, it's a secular country. It's a mess in many ways, but not everything was bad. And so I praise the Lord for some of the smart things our president government, our president, president has said. Our president has said legalizing, the last administration legalized marijuana. He said legalizing it was a mistake. I think it's, it's, it'd, be, it'd be comical if it wasn't so sad Canada, Uruguay, legalized marijuana. Criminals can make money doing it, but the governments can't. It's happened in both countries. I mean, there's a moral and spiritual part of it, but even the economic part of it. Criminals can do better than our government. And so he said it's been a mistake. And so, and it has been. I, I think it's been a mistake, not in the way he thinks. Uh, maybe he thinks it's a spiritual problem too, but he thinks he's looking at it as an economic problem. And so we as Christians over the last couple of years, any good pastor has wondered, every good missionary has wondered, God, what would you have me to do here? There's no manual on what on earth am I supposed to do? And, and even if you knew what to do, or if you knew someone who knew what to do, they may be dealing with a different world than you're dealing with. And so it, it was a time, I hear, uh, I believe, where we had to get on our face for God. God, what would you have me to do? And Paul was good at that as well. Uh, he thought that uh, he had a real relationship with God. He could ask God specific questions and get specific answers from that. And I think one other thing I've been studying out more in the book of Acts, not as much Paul's sermons, but how he spoke differently to each people. As I said, he always references the gospel. But if you look through his sermons to different people or his speeches to different people, they're radically different. They're completely different. He spoke to academic people without a Bible knowledge very differently than he spoke to Jews who had a, a, a biblical background, a biblical undergirding. And I think we need to do the same. I believe in, in handing out tracts and, and giving tracts to people, but I also believe that we're living in a, maybe we're living in a post-Christian culture. Many people, my wife, when she accepted the Lord, She'd never really seen, she'd seen a Bible before, but she'd never opened one up and looked at one. Uh, she'd never, uh, she had to ask, and I've, I've dealt with other people, what are these names and these, these, these uh, numbers, what do they mean? And they're talking about the books and chapters and verses of the Bible. Canada has a lot of those people. And so if I'm going to reach people in Uruguay, if you're going to reach people in Canada, which we're doing, and I know you're doing, we're going to have to be sensible of how they think. Paul was like that. And when he addressed people, he addressed them differently. Always the gospel. Amen. But he knew how to reach people and how to make that gospel mean something to someone who, who maybe doesn't have that biblical undergirding. 
So as I said, Paul had, uh, we're going to read it with the, the uh, Acts chapter 20. That's the only time uh, Paul actually referenced, uh, or actually we have recorded or transcribed where Paul preached to Christians. All the other messages he had, whether they were sermons or speech, speeches, were relating to uh, unbelievers. And whether he was defending himself in court, uh, this is the one time we have where he was talking to uh, believers. Uh, Uruguay, just to give you a bit more about Uruguay, Uruguay is a very dark place in, in some ways. I'm grateful to be there. I'm so thankful. Uh, 2% of the population consider themselves born again. The biggest demographic there spiritually would be atheist, agnostic, non-religious, no affiliation. That's 41 to 44%. So these are people who, and, and actually in school, in public school, they learn religion. That's, uh, that's I mean, they look at it, they take it from a secular position and they learn about all kinds of different religions and Christianity is just one of them. But these people don't have a biblical undergirding other than that. And so they're very secular. Uruguay has been secular almost from the beginning. They've had a strong separation of church and state for different reasons than, than maybe uh, Canada and the U.S. has. But they, have, they are secular. That's, the, I think, the nice thing about talking to Uruguayan people. You can talk to people you disagree with there not always, but often you can talk with people who disagree and not get into an argument. You can just tell it how it is, and they'll tell you what they think. Uh, one of the, the best things I've done since going to Uruguay a few months ago, and I regret I didn't do it sooner, was I, I went to the city. I talked to a couple different departments. I got permission. They have a big outdoor market there. They have a couple big outdoor markets. And I got permission to set up a gazebo and tent there. And I'm able to give out tracts and John and Romans from there and just talk to people about Jesus. And one of the first weeks I was out there, an atheist came by and I offered him a tract and he said, I'm an atheist, I don't want that. And I said, well, just because you're an atheist doesn't mean you don't know how to read, take this, it'll help you. And so we started talking and we talked for a few minutes and we're at this market and he says, everybody here is here for money. People are just living for money. And I said, I'm not here for money. I'm here to tell anybody who will listen about Jesus because that's what they need and that's what you need. And he said to me, that's it. I finally met somebody crazier than I am. And he left, and he waved as he left, and you know, he looks for me every week. And the week before I left, he gave me a hug. And that man isn't saved yet, but I appreciate, Uruguayans are not quick people, people to make quick decisions. I don't think Canadians are either. I don't think I am either. I wouldn't make a life-changing decision in 10 or 10, 20 or 30 minutes. But the people, I've seen some people come to know the Lord quickly there, but only two. Everybody else has taken time, has taken work has taken just being a friend and talking to them and talking to them again about Jesus until it happens to be Felipe came to church for months before he accepted Jesus Christ. And I have lots of people like that. And they, that's how that country is. The quickest growing religion there is one called uh, Macumbe. And it's similar in some ways to uh, Santeria. They, they have spiritism. Some of them mix in Catholicism in there. Some of them don't. Where I live, it's, a very, it's very bloody. There, some parts of the religion, they don't use blood. They just use water. Where I live, they use blood. They, use, they do blood sacrifices. They do blood baptisms. And there's some kind of manifestations. Uh, I, I went to go to, to, to see one of these celebrations once. It was a dark place. Uh, one person from, from the neighborhood asked me if I would come and visit their, their it was her, her brother. 
because they have these manifestations there and she wanted me, someone to talk to her brother about the Lord Jesus Christ, but she was scared to, to ask me to come because she had actually asked another Christian, another pastor to come before and he left scared. He left. And so I talked to my pastor, asked him advice, what should I do, pastor? And he gave me some advice. And, and basically what I got out of talking with him was, I'm in the business of Jesus. I'm in the business of helping people. And if the devil's going to turn me around, I'm in the wrong business. And so I trusted that the Lord would help me. And the Lord did help me there. There's a little girl in the video you saw, her name's Jessica. And her uncle is a priest in this religion. And he's, he's a mess he thinks he's the reincarnation of his dead sister. He's gay. And uh, anyway, Jessica's been coming to church, and she told her uncle once, I'm not going to your temple anymore. I'm a Christian now. That's a little girl. So I praise the Lord for her. And I praise the Lord I can be there, and I thank you guys so much for allowing me to be there. We're in the northern part of the country, so it's, it's even though Salto has over 100,000 people, it's like being in a small town. Everybody knows everybody's business. Uh, and so that's, that can be a good thing, that could be a bad thing, but it is where the Lord's led us. And we're thankful for um, you allowing us to go there and, and do what we believe is the Lord's work there. Um. I think, every, I think Paul was gospel-centered. When I read about the uh, testimony, many of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon. I understand that he had over, he had over 60 ministries before he passed away. Uh, literature ministries. He had a ministry. It was illegal for a Baptist preacher to go uh, get educated when he, when he was alive. And this, we're not talking very long ago. This is in the 1800s. And so it was illegal, so a lot of Baptist preachers seemed pretty ignorant. And so him and his wife, Pastor Spurgeon and his wife, had a burden to get books in the hands of preachers. So preachers would know what they're talking about. So they'd be able to study and, and give their people some exactly what they need. He had orphanages, and they say that not a single child came out of that orphanage without accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything was gospel-centered. He loved cutting, uh, he loved flowers, and so he would have ladies come to his, uh, he had a piece of land in the country, and he'd have ladies from his church come to his place and cut flowers, and those ladies would bring those flowers to shut-ins and talk to them about Jesus. Everything he did was gospel-centered. If the gospel wasn't part of it, he didn't do it. And so I think that's a good example for us as well, the, and, and we see it in the Apostle Paul, we see it lived out, and I think that, that's the need for me, that's the need of every Christian, that's the need of this church. So if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 16, we'll read 16 through 38. Acts 20, 16 through 38, and again, this is Paul's only message to Christians, or, or rather, the only recorded message he has of Christians. He, I'm sure he preached to Christians hundreds or thousands of times, but uh, this is the only time we have. The rest of the times we're all to unbelievers or at the very most a mixed crowd. Acts 20, 16. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted. If it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church... And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day I came, that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. 
testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count on my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have shunned, not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing, grievous wolves enter, shall, uh, enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch, and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him onto the ship. You know, I just want to interject something. I, I almost forgot. You know, your pastor is such a gracious man. When I met him, I'll, I'll tell you this little story. When I met him years ago, I talked to him over the phone about coming to meet here. And I don't remember if he remember. He probably does remember this. And I sent him an email, uh, you know, saying I'd love to come visit. I sent him another, and I just thought, every, you know, dumb missionary. I just thought no news is good news. And then I called him the morning, the same day of the service, and he said, yeah, I haven't heard from you. I, I didn't know if you were coming. And I got the email wrong by one letter. And I didn't get it bounced on me. And so he was so gracious to let me come anyway. So he's a very gracious man. He also said something that's really helped me. Um, when he came to Canada, he told me, he told me a bit of his testimony when, when he was here before. And uh, he, he, the, the churches that sent him out, um, they dropped his support after, <laughs> after a while, before, before, uh, <laughs> before he'd like them to, to, to drop it. Let me put it that way. And uh, he had a lot less than what he needed to support his family. And nobody would have faulted him to go home because he can't support his family. He couldn't work here. He didn't have all that paperwork in place. And uh, he told me, but I, what I did know, I knew how to buy and sell things. and I knew somehow God would meet my needs. And that did my heart good because and nobody would have faulted him for leaving. If you have no money, you can't live here. And uh, that did my heart good to know a man who lives by faith and sees God work through faith. Amen. And that helped me because I know the day that I meet hard times, God's good. Amen. And uh, though I have God's word, sometimes it's good to hear the, the testimony of a godly man and a godly lady to say, to look you in the face and say, God meets needs. Amen. And uh, he helped me and I don't doubt he's a help to you. Amen. So back to Acts. 
the, Paul was really wanting to get to Jerusalem. He says so there. He says, I, I've got to get to this feast. And so if you can picture he's on a ship and he doesn't actually go all the way into Ephesus off of port. He says, I want you guys to meet me in Miletus. And he's, I don't think Baptists have changed that much in 2,000 years because he knows what would happen, I think, if he went to Miletus. They would have invited him in and say, why didn't you spend the night? And you know what? We've got all this food. Why didn't you stay? But he really wanted to get to Jerusalem. So he said, instead of me going to Ephesus, why don't you come meet me in Miletus? I've got something to tell you. I'm not, I, he knew I, he was never going to see them again. He wanted to leave him some parting words. So these were pretty precious. These were men who either he ordained into the ministry or potentially Timothy ordained into the ministry, which is also Paul's protege. So these men loved Paul. This was a special meeting. This, Paul is, is oftentimes, I am amazed at the apostle Paul, how calm and collected he was. Sometimes they, they would be in the midst of trying to execute him and pull him out, and then he'd just start a speech. Wow. Or they'd slap him across the face, and he'd give a Bible answer. Wow. But here we have a very emotional Paul. He mentions tears a couple times here. And these folks love him. Uh, before this, other Christians are saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. And you know, some people can argue whether Paul should have or shouldn't have gone. But nobody can doubt that Paul loved his Lord. He said, I'm paraphrasing, but in the, in, the, in the previous chapter, he said, why are you breaking my heart? Don't you know I love my Lord? Don't you know it would be a small thing to die for him? I don't just want to serve him. I want to do everything for him. And so Paul is surrendered to do God's will with his life, whatever it is, and he's meeting people who know they're, only going, to, they're going to see him for the very last time, and he knows it too. So this is a special meeting. So the first point is uh, verses 18 through 21. Paul reminds them about his past. Paul had a good testimony with these men. He's not, you guys, I, uh, I love you very much, but you haven't seen me work in Uruguay. You haven't been, you haven't lived with me. You, you've lived with your pastor. You've seen him. These people lived with Paul. They knew what he was like. They knew his example. And, and that means something. When you, you know a preacher's life, and then you hear him preach. It gives, it gives a, as my pastor would say, it gives you a foundation when people know how you live. And these people knew how Paul lived. And he's reminding them, he's saying, you know how I lived. And not because he was a braggart to say, look at me, look what I did. But he's telling you, you know how I labored among you. It's so important to have a good example. As I said earlier, I have chapter and verses for promises of God, but when somebody tells you and somebody lives out their faith in front of you, that does something. I know, uh, I, I, I led a man to the Lord. I, I, I used to live, um, I was born in, in Alberta. I was raised in Alberta. I worked in Alberta for years before I, I went to Bible college and went to the mission field. And I remember one fellow, I, I would witness to people on the job site and construction workers, you can usually shoot straight with them and they'll shoot straight with you too. And I remember one guy I was talking to about the Lord Jesus. We were walking on our way to work before we parted ways. And he said, you know, if God just did something miraculous in my life, I would accept him. You know, I've asked him for that. I said, you have a Christian talking to you about Jesus at work. What more do you need? And I, and I just think of that because, like, that may not be impressive to you, but I just thought God gave me that. 
God told me to say that. And I think of other times where I'd be witnessing to people and I'd notice I'm talking to one man in the lunchroom, but the rest of the lunchroom is quiet. And I don't doubt for a minute, many men who heard the gospel I wasn't talking to, we had a ministry, um, we, it was really special. We had a ministry where we used to do some work in, in some of the work camps. And it was back in the day when it was still legal to smoke inside. And they gave us a room we could use for preaching, and, and we had a meeting there. We had a, basically a church service once a week there, but it was, there was poker tables and you know, ashtrays and arcades, and there was a rock uh, platform on one side, and there was a door, and there was our room in of it. So not a normal place to have church. And, uh, but it was, it was men. And so we went in there, and uh, we'd sing our hearts out, and uh, it, it was built at Atco Trailers, so everybody on the other side of that wall heard every word, heard every note, right or wrong, heard every, every word that was preached. And so Paul is telling them, you've seen my example. Uh, those, those construction workers work, you know, they, they may spend an hour there with us, but the rest of the week they're with, other, they're with other men. And so we all have a testimony with the people around us, and Paul had one too, and it, it spoke a lot. Uh, It's been said oftentimes, you may be the only Bible your neighbors, your co-workers ever read. And so we need, he, Paul had that example, uh, they knew it, and so I just have to ask myself, what kind of example am I leading? If everybody in this church did what you did, what would this church look like? And so I have to ask myself, Paul reminded them of his past in verses 18 through 21. In verses 22 to 25, he revealed his future to them. I think, I, I believe, I don't believe in new revelations or any of that garbage, but I do believe God answers prayer. And I believe I can ask God specific questions and he can answer me. I don't have a chapter and verse that says Salto Uruguay or Marco Politian in it, but as much as I know how, I believe God's led me there. I... The only thing I'm totally sure about is the words of this book, but I believe God led me there as much as I know how. And so Paul had an inkling of what his future was. And this is the thing that I find amazing. Not that he knew, but what he didn't know and trusted God anyway. Because it says there in verse 22, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit onto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Wow. That's good. He's saying, I'm going to suffer, but I don't really know what's going to happen there. It's easy for me to read the book of Acts and say, well, yeah, Paul's, it's going to work out all right. It's easy to read the part where Paul's in, in the dungeon and say, well, yeah, he can sing because he, he's getting out in the next chapter. He doesn't know that. And so when I go through confusion, when you go through trials, God can be trusted because Paul, Paul lived it. He said, he had an inkling of what God was going to do in his life. He didn't know exactly how that was going to pan out, but he knew God could be trusted. And so he revealed his future to them, and they knew by his life he was prepared to pay any price for, their, for his Lord and for their Lord. What a good example. They say that when the early Christians gave their lives for, um, in the Colosseum, that people got saved. Why? Because they could see there, these people were living for something more than this world. You know, uh, in some parts of the world, when the government would come for preachers, the church people gathered around, and that broke the heart of some soldiers. They knew that there were some ladies and men 
thought that preaching the Bible was so important. Not because the preacher was a special man, although they, I don't doubt reading some of these testimonies, the, the special power they had, but because they thought the word is so important. And so Paul knew his future, and he knew that the things we live for, and oftentimes the people that the average, <laughs> the average Canadian live for, aren't really that important. He said it in Romans 8, 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, Paul didn't live for this earth. He certainly was effective, but he was living for his Lord. He was living for the future. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he says it again. That's one of my wife's favorite verses. And one of mine is 1 Corinthians 15, 19. It, these both kind of sound like downers for verses, kind of depressing, but it's more than that. It says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. What's miserable is living for this world. Imagine the embarrassment of going to heaven and living for really nothing that important. And Paul lived for something that would last forever, for eternity. And so a Christian can oftentimes go through things knowing that there are things that, that are going to pass. And Paul wrote, the, Paul wrote the book on joy, and uh, he was a man. And he, if I recall correctly, it's a prison epistle. He suffered, but it's not, the natural way to think is, okay, I suffer today, but tomorrow I'll be better, and then I'll be joyful. But Paul did both at the same time. And I find that marvelous. The next thing Paul did was he reprimanded false doctrine. I mean, this is necessary. Uh, there are so many people who call themselves Christians who are doing things that aren't befitting of a Christian. And Paul said there will be wolves. There will be teach, people who teach wrong. And some of them are going to be in, in and among you. Uh, Jesus had his Judas. And so Paul knew that there would be some Judases, some people who would teach a wrong doctrine in and among them. And he was warning them of it. Uh, Paul had a burden, not only for the gospel, but to, to make sure the gospel was pure. I believe every little attack uh, on any doctrine ultimately is attack on the, on, the, on the gospel, on salvation, on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think every bit is important. There was, there's, a, uh, there's a man named Augustine who's really smart, but he said something that wasn't very smart once, at least once. Uh, and he's, he, uh, he had a saying that many ecumenical people use, and he said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And that's not right. And the reason it's not right is because who determines what's essential in this book? Do you? Do I? I don't have the right to do that. Nobody else does either. And so... Paul knew that any little attack, there are no non-essential. I think we need to be gracious to people, and Paul was. I mean, our Lord Jesus even was with people who differed from him. But that doesn't mean, the Lord Jesus was both. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that he was full of grace and truth. So Jesus loved people. He was kind. But he didn't, uh, he didn't water down the gospel. He didn't change what he believed. He, he, he was a... He said it how it was, and he said it lovingly. And so Paul was warning them that that sort of thing would happen. And, and uh, in recent weeks, I think that even amongst independent Baptists, there are some people who are not believing like they should. And we should just continue. Realize that Paul warned of that. It's going to happen, and we just need to stay faithful. 
Um, last thing Paul did here is verses 32 to 36 is he relinquished pride. Uh, Paul was a humble man. And I think that's amazing. I understand that Paul spoke five languages. He studied at, at, at the most preeminent colleges or universities or seminaries of his day. Uh, he, was, he was an important man in his society. I mean, they, they chose him and allowed him to be delegate throughout the, the, the Jewish world, carrying out their will. He was an important guy. And yet he would go and, and, and work with his hands amongst the most humble of people. Wow. Uh, that impresses me. Uh, there, was no, there was no haughtiness. Your pastor told me about uh, Pastor Wilkerson's comments to him and reactions to him. Uh, I, you know, there, there's one thing I'm convinced of. I think the root, and I may be wrong, I've got a lot to learn. I think the root of all sin is pride. And, and the reason I think that is because what do, what's the one thing I need to get saved? You know, before, before I, I go through the intellectual understanding of God and agreeing with him and my will being involved, what do I need? Humility. I need to get to the place and say, God, you're smarter than I am. You're holier than I am. I'm sinful. And, and a person without that attitude can't be saved. So I think humility is key. And Paul had it. I think humility is key in this. That a person needs to have that attitude. Say, God, I need you. And this is the amazing thing about the gospel. How the gospel solves everything. Because Jesus Christ came and looked at this sinful earth. And said, these people are condemned. Because they think impure. Because they, like, look at the society around us. You know, we like to think, you know, people like to think, sin's out there, sin's in here. There's no society that's eradicated it. We've had thousands of years of practice. Every impure thought, every, every impure word, every, every time we've taken something, every time we've said, we've said a lie, those are sins in the eyes of God. In the Bible, God describes sin as something filthy, dirty, disgusting, putrid. So if I were to stand before God as Marco Paulician, and he were to look at me the day I die, he'd have to say, you're filthy. I can't let you into heaven. You're disgusting. I can't let heaven be ruined like earth is with all this sin. I think back of uh, when kids like have muddy boots on and they'll, they'll run in the house. You know, what does mom do? God won't let sin into heaven. It's perfect. It's holy. The holiest men in the Bible, when they were faced with God, they prostrated themselves before God. How much does a... And these men recognized they were sinners. How much more unrepentant people when they stand before their Lord. And so God won't accept sin. So Jesus Christ in eternity past looked at this world and said, you know what? The, the, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so I can pay for my own sin just like anybody else can. I, can. I can give my life and spend an eternity in hell. And that would be the transaction. I can try and pay for my sins. The wages of sin is death, an eternal death, an infinite death. A place separate from God. And yet Jesus said, I want to take their place. That was a wonderful substitution. Because what Jesus did is he gave his life. And because he was a man, he could take the place of a man. He could pay that price. And because he was God also, who took the form of flesh, he has so much life, he has infinite life. And he can offer life to anyone who will accept it. And the only thing necessary on the sinner's part is that 
there's more theology at play is that attitude that say, says, God, I need you. I'm lost without you. I'm sinful. God, would you save me? Because the person that says, <coughs> I'll be fine on my own. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. They've already decided they don't need God. They're doing it their way. And yet God will take anybody who, who has that attitude and says, Jesus, I need you. I need you, Jesus. I deserve hell. Would you take my place? And then God the Father, the person, I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, and the day I die, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, God is not going to see Marco Paulician. God is going to see Jesus Christ. And he's going to say what any good father says to their son. Come on up, son. Love you. Come on home. And that's what, happened in, that's what happens in salvation, essentially. But I also think that through that resurrection power, I have the life, I have the, the victorious life, I have the victory, I have the answers to what I need from God if I would just ask him for it. If salvation is once and for all, but that same attitude of humility, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'd like you to help me. I'd like you to show me. And if I have that attitude, if we have that attitude, I, I don't think there's anything the Lord wouldn't allow us to do within his will. And so Paul relinquished pride. He was very humble, which I think is absolutely ne needed. He, it mentions tears here twice. He cried with these folks. He loved these folks. And so I think it's good to preach on hell and good to tell people that they need to get saved, but uh, there should be a little bit of compassion there, maybe a, a tear, because we love folks. Uh, hell is never something we preach because we're excited about it. Uh, we're trying to warn people from it. And so, in closing, just in closing, just a few points. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in the next few years. Uh, th these last few years were amazing. Uh, what all happened on a global scale? It seemed like every country in the world kind of locked down. And I don't necessarily, it may have been coordinated at some level, but I, I think most people didn't know what was going on. And maybe it'll happen again. There's things that governments did that uh, make us more ready for the end times and the Antichrist than ever before. I believe that. He may not come, or the Lord Jesus may not come for many, many years, but there are things that are ready now that weren't ready just two, three years ago. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing if our Lord Jesus Christ comes sooner. Uh, we've got some work to do. There's, there's much to do, but uh, it'd be a pretty exciting generation to be part of that generation that's caught up. I mean, I... I look forward to uh, talking to people in heaven and asking people in heaven some questions. And I also look forward to, you know, people who go through the rapture. They're probably going to be asked, what was that like? What did you see? And so maybe that'll be us. We don't know. Uh, also, uh, we, uh, because of that, we're going to go through more trials. And I'll say this, be encouraged about what God's doing in this church. God's doing something. I didn't see that video until after I came to Canada. And I have to admit, and I think... I don't think a lot of pastors or missionaries feel this way. You get discouraged because you see, you love people, and you see some people, and, and I, I, maybe I can't speak for Brother Rice, but I think, man, don't they get it? Why doesn't that family do, why, why is that man doing that to his family? Why doesn't that lady just make a decision? And sometimes I can get discouraged and just think all the things that I shouldn't be thinking about or dwelling on too much. And I forget that God's doing a work. And so I'd say that to you, God's doing a work here. God's working. And so 
There may be things, <laughs> there may be things that irritate you. There may even be things you don't like. But I've found in my life, oftentimes when God's bothering, when something bothers me, it's because God's bothering me to do something about it. Not just get complain and get bitter about it. So be encouraged that God's doing a work here. And uh, like I said, Paul loved his, the, this book even when it was unpopular. He, he spoke boldly uh, in the face of like, actual persecution. And so I would just challenge you to love this book even if the people you work with don't love it. Uh, man, I, a friend of mine had an awkward situation. He works... Hmm, talk, ask me about it at the table. Anyway, uh, we need to love the Lord even when it's unpopular. And lastly, the Apostle Paul was surrendered. Are you surrendered? Can you say, Lord, your will, whatever it is, I want to do it. I may not even know all of what it is or what it's going to look like, but I want to do it. Do you have that attitude? I want, to, I want that. I want that more than anything else. I wonder what God could do in my life and in your life if you would just do that. Uh, if you just stand and have a, a short time of prayer. God's word was preached. We're in God's house. God's spirit has promised to be here. Has God spoken to you tonight? If you don't know for certain you're saved, it sure would be a, an awful thing to leave a gospel-preaching church lost. Are you certain where you'd spend eternity? If you're not, I would love if you just look up or raise your hand. Uh, I would love to talk to you. This pastor would love to talk to you uh, and help you. The Bible can show us how we can be saved. Is there anybody here who would say, Preacher, uh, while you were talking, God brought something to my mind. And there's something I need to do. There's someone I need to talk to. There's a decision I need to follow through on. Uh, and preacher, would you pray for me? We're going to have a time of prayer. And if you just look up or raise your hand, I want to pray for you. Praise the Lord. If God showed you something, he can be trusted. Anything he, uh, anything he asks of you, he gives you the power to, to, uh, to do. And he'll give you the, the, the power to overcome. Just like we've seen good people overcome some, some pretty ugly and negative things over the last few years, he can do the same for every one of us. You know, there are some Christians that, uh, that aren't in church here tonight that used to be in church. Just pray for that strength. I don't want to be a casualty, neither does anybody else here. And so if the Lord's asking you to surrender something, why don't you just, why don't you just do that tonight? And we'll have a, a time of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for these souls. Thank you for the heart they have for missions and for their own community. I just pray that, pray that you use them mightily and continue to use them. I pray in a special way for this preacher and his family. And Lord, I pray for the, de the decision and the decisions made for thee. Lord, uh, that you would give the strength and wisdom to follow through. And uh, just to know exactly what your will is. Uh, the courage to do with it. Do it. And Lord, although we don't deserve it, uh, allow us to see the, the, uh, the fruit of what you're asking us to do. In Jesus' name I pray.